you'd like to turn with me to 1 Samuel, the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 15. It's good to be here this morning. I trust we're thankful for another opportunity to be in the Lord's house and to be able to lift up our voice in praise, lift up our hearts in prayer, and to look into His Word this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 15. We find that Saul is the king of Israel at this point. God had... The children of Israel had wanted a king so they could be like the other nations. Wanting to be like other people can sure get us in trouble at times. Anyway, God said, I'll give you a king. His name was Saul. David was a man after God's own heart. And I'll say Saul was a man after the people's heart as we'll see in this example. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 1, And Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now, Go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not. But slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, oxen and sheep, camel and ass. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and laid waste in the valley. We see in this chapter, which you're familiar with, is that God had given the king a command. The king was a servant of the Most High God. Just like we are servants of the Most High God in whatever station we're in. Whatever job we're in, what vocation we're in, as a mother, as a father, we are, we have certain duties and responsibilities. Um, and ultimately, we're serving the Lord uh, when we serve one another. And even down at the job, whatsoever, you, you know, do, do as unto the Lord. Uh, you may... A good, you have good employees when you do uh, whatever you're doing out there in the workforce as unto the Lord. But anyway, Saul was a servant of the Most High God. And God gave him a command to kill all these people, leave nothing left. And you know what happened in this account. We're going to read a few more things. But he ended up, he didn't do it. He didn't do what God said. And we see here in 1 Samuel, I mean, the, the instructions were plain. Kill every. Suckling, oxen, ass, all that they have. Kill, kill them all. Destroy all of these people. The command was clear. But we find that when they got there and were smiting them, it says in verse 7, Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until thou comest unto Shur, that is, over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag, and the best of the sheep, and of the oxen, and of the fatlings, and the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them, 
but everything that was vile and refuse, that they utterly destroyed. So we see on the get-go, they didn't do what God said, did they? No, they didn't. They saved Agag and some of the, the other, the uh, best of the, the sheep and the lambs and the oxen and all these things. God said destroy them all, but they didn't do it. So Samuel comes and meets Saul, verse 13, And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears, and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? In other words, if you'd killed all these animals, I wouldn't hear them. Yeah, you didn't do it. You know what he said? He said, Saul said, what about all these sheep and the oxen? I like it. His answer is so typical of our human nature. He says, and Saul said, they have brought them. He didn't say we. He says, they have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared, not we, but the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God and the rest we have utterly destroyed. When it got to the destroying part, he's included himself. We. Yeah, we, we destroyed him, but they saved Agag. They saved the best of the sheep. You know, that's human nature, is it not? I mean, from the get-go. You know, when Adam, in the fall of man, when Adam sinned, God says, what is this that thou hast done? He says, that woman you gave me. We're going to pass the buck, right? Any time we can. That woman you gave me. Blah, blah, blah. And he says, woman, what is this that has done? Well, this serpent. You know, we like to, we don't like to take responsibility, right? Especially in this day and age, it seems like it's increasing more and more. You know, we're just, everybody's just a victim of whatever, and we don't take responsibilities for our own actions. Yeah, we can be victims of things. I'm talking about not taking responsibility for our actions. Well, you did this. Well, you know, I didn't have the best home life. Or, you know, we give excuses for whatever, for our failings. Saul had failed to do what God clearly told him to do. And so he's saying, well, you know, they did this, they did this, but we destroyed the rest. Well, you get on down here and you're going to find Saul still maintains his innocence in verse 20. He says, and Saul said to Samuel, yea, have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag and the king of Malachites, and have utterly destroyed the Malachites. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. You can make a lot of excuses for not doing what the Lord said do. Oh, I had the best of intentions. Uh, we're going to take all these sheep, and these oxen, yeah, we didn't destroy them like you said, God, but we're going to offer them unto you in sacrifice. That sounds real good, right? The problem is it's not what God said. God said utterly to destroy them. And besides that, they saw an opportunity. They had to offer these offerings to God anyway, and they saw some free oxen and sheep for the taking. So they don't have to sacrifice their own, right? I mean, why not? Why use mine when these are good? When we get on down here, Samuel said in verse 22, Hath the Lord his great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. 
Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. (coughs) Now Saul actually comes to admit what's going on here. And he says this. He explains why all the sheep and all the oxen and all these animals weren't killed like God said do. He's going to give a reason. He says, And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words. He was in charge. He's the king. He says, I have sinned, I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words, because, why? I feared the people and obeyed their voice. I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Have you ever been in a situation like maybe Saul was in? Where you knew what God would have you do, but there were other people around you, the circumstances whereby you felt pressured to go in another direction. The people didn't want to sacrifice and kill all these animals. That's free animals. I'll take them. We'll take them. They'll be ours. We'll have some spoil. Here is Saul. He knows what God said do, but he feared the people because he feared what they were going to say, what they were going to think, what they might do to him. They may string me up. They may not follow me anymore. That, you know, whatever it may be. He feared, because he feared what they were going to say, think, or do to him, he ended up obeying their voice and doing what they wanted him to do instead of what God clearly told him to do. You ever been there? You ever felt that pressure? That's what we call peer pressure, is it not? Peer pressure. The Lord to bless us a little time this morning. I want to talk about peer pressure. I don't want to just talk about, I want to talk about what it is. Because if you don't know what it is, you will never be able to rise above it. You'll succumb to it all the time. If you don't even understand what it is. God has, He tells us what it is. And he actually, we're going to talk about a remedy for it. How do you deal with peer pressure? The Bible has a lot to say about it. Proverbs 29 verse 25 says this. The fear of man bringeth a snare. Here we find Saul was afraid of the people... Through his fear, he was snared and taken and ended up doing what they wanted rather than what God wanted. He got trapped, snared by the fear of man. That's actually what peer pressure is. You realize it's a fear? It's being afraid. That if I do this thing that the Lord, that is righteous in the Lord's eyes, What are people, I'm afraid of what people might think. I'm afraid of what people might think of me. I'm afraid of what people might say. I'm afraid of what people might do. Peer pressure is actually a fear of man. And it's a fear of what they'll do. 
You afraid of men? There's a scripture, I don't know where it is, just came to my mind. God says, why shouldest thou be afraid of a man that shall die? I don't know, I think it's in Isaiah maybe, I'm not sure. Why shouldest thou be afraid of a man that shall die? You afraid of anybody? You know, I can look on the TV. You say, well, you know, and when we talk about being afraid of, it's it's a fear of man bringing the snare. We're talking about the fear of man. It's not just being afraid of, you know, I can see a picture, I can see, I watch television, I can see on the news some big, you know, 350 pound monster of a evil looking man that's, you know, behind bars. I don't get afraid. But if I met him in a dark alley at 3 a.m. one morning and I see him approaching me with, you know, something in his hand, I might start getting afraid. Right? Well, see, I'm not just afraid of man in general as abstractly spoken. I can see him on the TV. I can see a picture, you know, if he's far away from me. But if he's close enough to do me harm, I might be afraid. I'm afraid. We talk about the fear of man. We're afraid of what men, women are going to say, think, they're going, what they're going to do. How are they going to affect me? How are they going to affect me? We're afraid of man. The fear of man bringeth a snare. Let me give it a New Testament example of the fear of man. Let's go to Galatians chapter 2. Right now we're just kind of identifying this thing, this pressure that we feel to go in a certain direction, to do a certain thing that's against God's ways. Is it really a fear? Yes, it's really a fear. And this example has to do with an apostle. His name was Peter. Peter the Apostle. In Galatians chapter 2, we find that, I think in verse 11, of course this is Paul's letter to the Galatians, but he's giving an account of an interaction he had with Peter one time. He says in verse 11, But, but when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face, because he was to be blamed. Peter did something wrong and he was to be blamed and Paul <clears throat> took, took him, <clears throat> talked to him about it. He says, but when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. Well, what did he do? He says, for before, and this, the, the, the construction of this grammar is a little difficult. You may have to read this a couple of times, but he says, for before that certain came from James, he's talking about certain people came from Jerusalem, from James. He says, for, for before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. In other words, there were some people coming from Jerusalem that still believed you shouldn't have anything to do. You're a Jew. You shouldn't have anything to do with Gentiles. All right? I mean, Jews, I mean, you remember what the Lord went through with Peter, okay, at the beginning, and that, that side at, at, at uh, you know, he saw on the rooftop there in Joppa, you know, the great sheet let down, rise, Peter, slay and eat. Not so, Lord. I mean, can you imagine telling the Lord, the Lord says, do this? You say, no. That was, it was deep seated within the Jews. You didn't have anything to do with the Gentiles. God prepped him up and, and got him willing and ready to go to preach to Gentiles. 
And finally he learned what God hath cleansed, call not thou common or unclean. And he went and preached to Cornelius in his household. You remember that in Acts chapter 10. All right, so it was a deep-seated thing. Jews weren't to have anything to do with Gentiles. How many times in the epistles in the book of Romans, he says not to the Jew only, but also to the Gentile. Not Jew only, but also the Gentile. Gentiles are included, are included under the grace of God. Finally, in Acts chapter 15, he says that we believe that we shall be saved by grace even as they. You know, it's, it's Jew or Gentile. The, the middle wall of petition is broken down. God has a people out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation, including Gentiles. But the Jews were taught from little bitty kids, you don't have anything to do with these Gentiles. Peter had to learn. Okay, I guess it's okay to go. But you know what happened after that? There were some that came down from Jerusalem called the circumcision, zealous of Judaism, that you're not supposed to have anything to do with those Gentiles. And Peter, what happened? He got weak need. He says, but he, you know, but went before these people came down from Jerusalem, it says he did eat with the Gentiles. There's nothing wrong with these Gentile brethren. But it is in some people's minds of his Brethren from Jerusalem. And they came down. What happened? He says, but when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself from those Gentiles, fearing them which were of the circumcision. What is it that moved Peter? He'd been fellowshipping with his good old Gentile brethren, saved by grace through the Lord Jesus Christ, just as well as he was. And he, and he starts feeling this pressure because there's some brethren that's not going to think very much of here for Peter for fellowship in these wrong folks over here and I'm not they're not going to they're going to frown on me because I'm fellowshipping with these gentiles because they don't understand that it's okay what are you going to do he feels this fear of what are they going to say about me what are they going to do are they going to disfellowship me how many of you brethren want to be disfellowshipped by your brethren I I mean, I don't, no one's going to, you know, I don't see any volunteers out there. But you might have to be sometime to be faithful to the Lord. You know, I think of Peter. You know, this is the same Peter that over there in uh, Acts chapter 4. You remember what happened in Acts chapter 4? These Jews, not his brethren, but these Jews, these, these uh, Pharisees came to Peter came to Peter and warned him not to preach anymore in the name of Christ. Do you remember that? Acts chapter 4, verse 18, They called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. We cannot but speak the things which we have heard and seen. Then they threatened them and sent them out. Well, they kept on preaching. Well, Peter ended up in jail, in prison for that. And the angel of the Lord came and delivered him out. And he went back to preaching Jesus. Say, amen, amen. Sounds like Peter's real strong in the Lord. Amen, he was. And he get on down here and they brought him. Verse 27 of Acts chapter 5. They brought him. Uh, when they had brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest and asked them, saying, did we not straight, did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. 
Amen, Peter. He's right on target, isn't he? I mean, here he is. I mean, they're fixing to get... I mean, and they actually beat them and let them go. There's consequences for their obedience to Christ. And that's what we're really going to be talking about. Because when we talk about us being snared by the fear of man and going in the wrong way, then God's way, we're afraid of the consequences of obedience. You realize there's consequences to obedience sometimes in being obedient to God. Doing what God, what is right in the sight of God, there's some consequences that can come to play. First Peter chapter four, verse four, Peter says, wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of right, speaking evil of you. Are you willing to be evil spoken of for doing the right thing? Wherein they think it strange. Are you willing to be thought strange for Christ? Because you can't do what everybody else does. These people here, one of the things we find here in Acts chapter 5, verse 41. After they were beaten, these apostles, they said, we ought to obey God rather than men. You don't want us to preach. God sent us to preach. And we're going to preach. We ought to obey God rather than men. They beat them and let them go. And they went on their way. They went back and reported this occasion to the church. And it says here, Verse verse 40. Actually, that was, I'm thinking of a different place where they reported back. But anyway, after they beat them and let them go, verse 40, and they, and, and to him they agreed. And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Alright, so they got beaten. There was consequences for being obedient unto God and fearing God more than men. Esteeming what God wanted more than what these men wanted. Esteeming God's way more, God in His way, esteeming that more than what man wanted. Man says, don't preach anymore in His name. God wants me to do this. I'm going to be faithful. I ought to obey God rather than men. I'm going to preach. They beat them. Listen. They beat them and let them go. And verse 41 says, And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. Are we willing to suffer shame for His name? Are we willing to be mocked? Are we willing to be ridiculed? Are we willing to have consequences that man can bring upon us? Are we ready to drink the cup of the consequences that our obedience may bring forth? Question. If we at least don't have the intent and desire And the answer to that question, yes, we're never going to be able to arise above the fear of man. We're always going to be caught in a snare and go the wrong way. But Peter's real strong, right? Here's these Pharisees say, don't preach anymore in his name. I'm sorry, you know. We can't but do what God is saying do. We're going to do this. They were beaten. He said Peter stood real strong. Yeah, he did. But back over in Galatians chapter 2, he didn't stay real strong, did he? He 
was eating and drinking with these good brothers and sisters in Christ that happened to be Gentiles. But when some came from Jerusalem, very zealous of their Jew, their, their ways <clears throat> that are of the uncircumcision, it says he withdrew and separated himself. You know what one of the differences that is? I see in that. One time Peter stood strong, the other time he didn't. You know the time he didn't? Those were some of his close peers. That's just the authorities. I mean, somebody might say, you know, what if the authorities came and said, y'all can't preach, y'all can't meet down here anymore. You probably say, well, yeah, we can, or we'll go to someone's house. You can't meet anymore in the name of the Lord. Well, you know, some public official over here that you don't really know just comes up and says, you can't do that. And you say, well, we'll go quietly, we'll go over here. We ought to obey God rather than men. Yeah, you, you can be real strong if the guy is really not your close peer, but it gets harder when you have a close peer. That's the point. These were brethren. These were brethren that Peter knew from Jerusalem. Brothers and sisters in the church, you see. It gets a lot harder when it's maybe your best friend that you feel that wants you to go in a wrong way. And there's different kinds of peer pressure. This isn't an active, there's active peer pressures. We find over uh, in, <clears throat> there could be active peer pressure, someone trying to get you to do this or do that. Here, what do you, uh, here, take this, you know, the passing around a bottle. I've been in a place one time where young people were standing around and there was a bottle of whiskey being passed. And I knew it was, I, I was going to be my turn. <clears throat> it was coming closer than closer. What am I going to do? What are you going to do when someone offers you drugs? What are you going to do when someone's trying to get you to do something? I remember when I first went into college, uh, a lot of things happened in college. One, I had a roommate, had a couple of buddies down the hall, and they we got all, we, we kind of moved in together, the dorm together, and we got done. Kind of toward evening, we got all packed, everything unpacked, and they said, well, let's go down to such and such bar. They said, come on, Hardy, let's go. And I said, well, I don't drink. And they looked at me, they looked at each other and says, well, you don't yet. They had some plans for me. You can have an act, you can have people actively trying to entice you and get you to do things wrong, but sometimes peer pressure is just the circumstance. See, these brethren at Jerusalem, who were very zealous of their circumcision, who didn't believe in fellowship in the Gentiles and that no Jew should have anything to do with Gentiles, they weren't there actively trying to pressure Peter, was were they? No. It's the circumstance of what Peter knew, what they would think, and it moved him in a certain direction, which was not the right direction. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I was stood into the face because he was to be blamed. <clears throat> After they were come, he withdrew himself, separating them, uh, he withdrew him and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the, listen, and listen to this. It says, and the other Jews dissemble likewise with him. Insomuch that even Barnabas, who Paul had traveled with, but all faithful Barnabas, even in much so, even that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. In other words, the, all these people, you know, what you do can affect others. Whether you are weak and you're snared by fear and go one way, that can have more effects on you 
that can influence others in a negative way. Versus, if you stand strong in the Lord and do that which is right, that can have a great effect also. That can encourage others to take a strong stand. Alright? But it says that the other Jews saw Peter, well, you know, they know what's going on. Here's these of the circumcision are coming down and we're fellowshipping the wrong folks. Then they say, well, they're probably thinking, should we be here or not? I don't know. Peter's here, so we're okay. Then Peter, well, Peter's gone. Well, I'm not going to be caught here with them without Peter here. So they leave too. And so much that Barnabas, I mean, he's like, I'm the only one left. Well, I'm go to. They all left. And that was wrong for them to do that. Paul says, but when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel. See, they didn't walk uprightly. They should have stayed in fellowship those Gentiles. Didn't matter what these people thought. You'll see. Alright? So what are we talking about? We're talking about through fear. What does it say? He withdrew himself, separated, fearing them which were the circumcision. Of the circumcision. So right now we've just been identifying what the problem is. It's fear. It's the fear of man bringeth a snare. You know, in this fear of man, as you can already see, and we talk about how that things are hard for young folks today, you know, and all the pressures and everything, and, and that's certainly true. And all the peer pressure, yeah, that's true. But you know what? Peer pressure affects us all. We done looked at a king and an apostle. The king fell through peer pressure. Saul did. The apostle Peter fell through peer pressure. What was it? It's identified. I feared the people and I obeyed their voice. He separated himself fearing them which are the circumcision. The fear of man bringeth the snare. And it's a fear, again, it's a fear of the consequences that any consequences that might come upon me for doing the right thing. Alright? And we're commanded not to fear. Alright, let's talk about the remedy. Before we talk about the remedy, let me just tell you, God tells us not to fear on many occasions. You know, in... Just give you a few examples before we go on here. In Act, in uh, Matthew chapter 10. See, this is a real, real deal. This affects us all. Even affected the apostles. In Matthew chapter 10 verse 23, Jesus was given his instructions to, here in this section of scripture, to the apostles to go out and preach. You know, and, and preaching wasn't going to be a bed of roses. Not everyone's going to like to hear the truth preached, okay? And uh, just look at Jesus, how many times they, they, they sought to kill him. He spoke the truth. But he says in verse 23, Jesus tells his preachers, when they persecute you in this city, flee ye into another. Yeah, there's going to be some persecution. And I'm going to tell you this. It says over in Timothy, yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. First Timothy 3.16, I think. They should suffer persecution. You're going to be think odd. You're going to be think weird. You're going to, it's not just think. You, there may be some further repercussions of, <clears throat> that come upon you because you take a stand for that which is right in following the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, when they persecute you in this city, you flee to another. 
but listen, tell it, listen to what he says here in verse 28. He says, and fear not them which are able to kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who's able to cast both soul and body in hell. Who are you going to fear more? Who are you going to fear more? Who are you going to have respect to more? God? Or somebody's wanting me to get do something, not, not preach? Or someone's wanting me to do something that's wrong? Do I have more regard for the person trying to get me out of the way than the one who's told me what is the way? You know, when I fail and succumb to the fear of man over what God said, I'm actually esteeming what man thinks more than God in that moment. Ow, that hurts. I'm really esteeming what my friends think more than what God thinks in that moment when I succumb. It says, fear not, man. Don't be afraid. You know the, the Israelite in Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1. You remember there was a commandment when the children of Israel began to multiply. They were to kill all their sons. All their children. All the men children. They were to kill them once they were born. That was a command that went forth. Well, you know, there's a problem there because God says, Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt do no murder. You're going to murder a little baby. Well, that's the command. What do you think a lot of those people did? Well, I fear for my life. What's the consequences of keeping this little man-child alive and not killing him like Pharaoh said? I might lose my life. Well, are you willing to receive the consequences of your obedience to God? Are you willing to lay down your life to do that which is right? It says here in Exodus... 117. It says, but the midwives feared God and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men children alive. And this is real world. And see, this isn't just a bunch of kids. These are grown women that are midwives. They've got a choice to make. Do I kill these children and obey the king of Pharaoh, of king of Egypt, Pharaoh, or do I obey the king God? It says they feared God. And saved them alive. They feared God more than they feared the king of Egypt. So they saved them alive. They had more regard to what God thought in that instance than what the king of Egypt thought. You follow me what I'm saying? They weren't snared by the fear of man. Wasn't snared. Jesus told his apostles, Fear not them which are able to kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Let's look at a few more instances. Let's look in Jeremiah chapter 1. God at times had to tell his preachers. Not only in Matthew chapter 10, but also Jeremiah. How many of you familiar? You're familiar with the book of Jeremiah? How would you like to be in Jeremiah with all the good news that you had to preach? No, he didn't have much good news, did he? I mean, he did have, you know, if I'm in your ways and your doings, I'll cause you to dwell in this place. But if you're not, you're going in captivity. I mean, the enemy's coming from the north. He's going to destroy you. Who wants to hear that? Well, a lot of the people didn't. You remember one time Jeremiah, he said, he said, I'll speak no more in his name. He got tired of it. But yet it was like fire in his bones and he could not stay. The Lord didn't leave him alone. He had burnt, the Lord burned him with a message. He had to preach it. But he comes to Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was a young man. 
He says in Jeremiah chapter 1, Before I formed thee in the womb, I sanctified thee, I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. And he said, verse 8 says, Oh Lord, I cannot speak for I'm a child. He said, Say not I'm a child, but you shall go. Verse 7, But the Lord said unto me, Say not I'm a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee. And whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. He told, said, Be not afraid of their faces. Ezekiel chapter 2, we find a similar uh, <clears throat> command here to Ezekiel, who is also a prophet. Verse 6, Thou son of man, be not afraid of them, neither be afraid of their words. Though briars and thorns be with thee, and that us dwell among scorpions, be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks. Don't be, don't, they may give you a bad look. They may get, they may say, you know, <clears throat> they may say, don't be afraid to preach my word. It's not going to be popular all the time. Depends on what you preach and where you preach it. All right. So see, so time and time again, it says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You know why God tells them not to be afraid? Because we have a tendency to be afraid. We are afraid to do what God said because it's going to get me in trouble with those people with my friends, with the authorities, whatever it may be. Let's look in Deuteronomy. We were there early this morning, Deuteronomy chapter 1. <coughs> this is to judges. God comes and tells judges, don't be afraid of men. He says here, verse 16, He says, I charged your judges at that time saying, Hear the causes between your brethren and judge righteously between every man and his brother and the stranger that is with him. You know, judges should judge equitably, righteously, right? That's what they should do, right? Judge everybody the same, right? He says, ye shall not respect persons in judgment. But ye shall hear the small as well as the great. Ye shall not be afraid of the face of man. For the judgment is God's. You know there's right and wrong. You ought to judge everybody the same. Does that always happen? Doesn't always happen, does it? You shall not respect persons in judgment. I mean, you can commit... Alright, so, if you're someone like Hillary Clinton or some other high official, you can commit certain crimes that others would be punished for. Am I speaking truth? Whoever it might be. There are different standards. If you, do you know why that you have like mayors or some city official, you know, I don't think in this country mayors of cities have to pay many traffic tickets for speeding. You understand what I'm saying? I know some people in law enforcement and they told me though they stopped the judge. Well, <clears throat> they didn't have to pay a fine. Why not? Isn't everybody the same? Well, you know, we're... And then there's sometimes people... No, no I'm sorry, judge, you're going to have to pay that ticket. Well, what ramifications will there come? It's a fear. What's going to, you know, what, there's different standards, you see. There's, why would we here today in this late age in which we live in different things? We always hear about 
you know, what about the court of public opinion? Right? If certain things washes with the opinions of the people, maybe it doesn't matter what the law says. Why? It's because of fear. I mean, if you're a congressman, if you are a senator, are you going to go, here's what's right and wrong, are you going to go against opinion? If you're a judge, are you going to go against opinion? Sadly, I will say, uh, peer pressure is alive and well in America today on all levels. You know, one of the things, one of the things that it says in Exodus chapter, one of the laws that God had, I think it's Exodus 23, verse 2, Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil. Neither shalt thou speak in a cause to decline after many to rest judgment. You go study that later on this week. Thou shalt not decline after many to rest judgment. That means to twist judgment. In other words, you're going to follow after the multitude and not do that which is right. That's what that's talking about. And you're following people in it. So these are examples. God tells this judge, don't be afraid of the face of man. Don't be dismayed. You judge the small as well as the great. Whatever their standing is, you judge righteously. Don't be afraid. Because if you're afraid, I mean, if I'm a big old, big old, uh, 350 pound giant, I come before a judge and say, you better find me innocent. I know where your family lives. You know how people, how people in the prisons today get a lot of things that they have? Because they've got their networks and they, they, they have information on the prison guard's family. And their kids. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, this is this is real world. There is a fear of man. Fear of man. Just last week, just two weeks ago, my employer came to me and told me to do something that was I consider dishonest and unethical. What am I gonna do? This is real world. But God tells us not to be afraid of the face of man and not to fear. We're told not to be enticed. You know, Solomon was one of the wisest men that lived because God gave him wisdom. The book of Proverbs, all this wisdom. Do you know what he starts out with after his little introduction? He deals with peer pressure. He tells in Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1 Verse 10, one of the first things he tells his son, he says, My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. If they say, Come with us, let us lay wait for blood. Let us lurk privily for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them up alive as the grave and whole as those that go down into the pit. That's going to be so much fun. We shall find all so precious substance. We shall find all precious substance. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in thy lot among us and we shall all have one purse. Come on. If son is sinners enticing. He says, my son. He says, walk not down the way with them. Refrain thy foot from their path for their feet run to evil and make haste to shed blood. He says, don't go. He says, don't go. 
All right. Well, you know, God tells us, don't be afraid. He says, don't be afraid of what's going to happen. He says, don't go. All these things. Well, that doesn't tell me how to do it. And I spent 45 minutes going through all that. And hopefully the last 15 minutes, we're going to see what is the remedy? How do you escape peer pressure? How do you escape this fear of man? How do you go and not be snared? How is Saul, King Saul, not going to be snared like he was? How's Peter not going to be snared like he was? Well, if you go back to Proverbs 29, 25, it tells you the answer to the last part. He says, The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. The answer is, trust in the Lord. Okay, there's your answer. Let's go home. (laughs) What does that mean? You can say it. What does that mean? What do you mean trust in the Lord? I did quote that right, didn't I? <clears throat> Twenty-nine, twenty-five. The fear of man bringeth the snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. <clears throat> you know, it's easy to say, "Well, I'm going to trust the Lord." Saying you trust the Lord is not trusting the Lord. How do you trust the Lord? What do you mean trust the Lord? Here, I'm feeling this pressure to go in the wrong way. What does it mean to trust the Lord? Well, I'm going to trust the Lord. And see, let me just say this. Peer pressure is a fear of the resulting consequences of not being conformed to the wish, desires, and expectations of those around me. Okay? So it's a fear of the consequences. So when we talk about trust in the Lord, you know what I'm going to do when I get in that situation? What we're called upon to do is we're going to trust in the Lord because what do we fear? We fear what consequences may come, the laughs, the mocks, the talk, being put in prison, losing your life, whatever it may be, if you don't go the way that you're told to go, which is in the wrong way, as opposed to God's right way. We fear the consequences that come upon us. So the way you escape is you trust that the Lord, you trust the Lord to take care of the consequences for you. You trust that the Lord that He's going to deliver you and take care of you because He's promised to never leave you nor forsake you, by the way. So, trust in the Lord. We trust the Lord. You you remember when I read over there in um, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 8, when God told Jeremiah, He says, Be not afraid of their faces, Why? For I am with thee to deliver thee. For I am with thee to deliver thee. And me just telling you that the remedy for peer pressure is to trust in the Lord that He's going to take care of the consequences may not mean a whole lot to some people if you don't know anything about the Lord. And his taking care of us in providence. You know, we could say, uh, I could tell you that, uh, how many of you would just stop out here on the highway with your small young children or grandchildren, stop a car and say, hey, you take care of my child and I'll see you next week. Just drop him back off. You say, preacher, you're crazy. 
Yeah, that'd be kind of stupid, wouldn't it? Do you know why you, you wouldn't trust him? Well, you don't know anything about that person, right? Now, you might let your, your uh, grandchild stay with your grandma, your mother, his grandma, right? Parents, loved ones, because you know something about them that you know you can trust them. Well, I'm going to tell you something about God, all right? God, it says in, uh, let me tell you something about God. Do you understand? To be able to trust God, we got to know that He is God. He works His will, it says in, in Daniel chapter 435. He doeth His will in the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay His hand or say unto Him, What doest thou? Hebrews 1.11 says, He worketh all things out of the counsel of His own will. He has all power in heaven and in earth. He's declared the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I'll do all my pleasure. How much your pleasure going to do? I'm going to do it all. I'm going to tell you what, He created all things. He upholds all things by the word of His power. In Him we live and move and have our being. Uh, in His breath is the soul of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. I mean, God is the governor of all the nations. He's got it all under control. He has all power. More than a governor, more than a president, more than a, anybody else. He has all the power. Not only does he have all the power, you know the good thing about that is, the Lord's on our side. I mean, David actually said that in Psalms 118 verse 6. He says, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. You see what he said? I'm not going to be afraid of what puny man can do. Why shouldest thou be afraid of a man that shall die? We're talking about God versus puny man. Why would you be afraid of, why would you be so afraid of what your friends think? Or your brethren? They're not the ones that really matter. Or the local official. When we start fearing man, let me, let me show you something. How you get snared, the fear of man bringing the snare, here's how it works. You fear man, a man fearer will become a man pleaser. And a man pleaser becomes a servant of men. Starts out with fear. Starts out with fear. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, uh, he says, for do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? There's please men. He says, for if I yet should please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. He says, if I start just being a man pleaser, I'm going to serve the people, not God. That's why I said Saul, King Saul was a man not after God's own heart, but after the people's heart. He wanted to please the people, so he obeyed their voice. Romans chapter uh, 6 verse 16 says, Know you not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey? His servants you are to whom ye obey. Now, I know that's taken out of context, but the principle is true. Know you not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey? His servants you are to whom you obey. If I start trying to please the world, I'm the servant of the world. I just want to do what they want. God's out of the picture. And through fear, we want to do what they do. we got to nip it in the bud at fear. Because you can be afraid. You will be afraid. All right. 
two weeks ago when I was in, and my boss came back and says, I am the boss and you do what I say and I hope this never happens again. I could lose my job. Right? What do you say? What do you do? Right? We have to trust in the Lord. He has all power in heaven and earth, and God's on our side. That's a good thing. So he has all power. We can trust God to deal with the the puny consequences that man might bring on us. They're puny in relative to God. He can take care of it just like that. God may be willing, though, for me to suffer shame for his name. Just like the apostles were beaten and let go, right? God didn't intervene at that point and prevent that, but He gave them grace to bear up under the consequences of their obedience to God. Are you willing to do that? you got to be willing first. Alright? That's one of the first things. If I hadn't decided that I'm going to do God's thing and be servant to Him, I'm, not, I'm, I'm never going to... I'm always going to fall to the fear of man. First, I have to have a desire and intent to hold faithful. It doesn't mean that I can't err, because I can. If a man thinketh he standeth, let him take heed lest he fall. But what do we got to do? I'm going to tell you this. Over there in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, be not conformed to this world. That's what we're talking about, right? I mean, people want you to do this, want you to do that. He says, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right, here's the step. Here's the step. He says, instead of being conformed to the image of this world, doing what the world wants, when you feel pressured to go that way, he is saying, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is, most, this is probably the most important thing I'm saying right now. God would have us to start thinking and renewing our mind with certain truths. That we not be afraid. Like what? God has all power in heaven and earth. He does His will in the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. God is on my side. I'll not fear what man shall do unto me. He's promised. He says, be content with such things as you have. For He has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Because the Lord's on my side. The Lord's going to back me up. The Lord has me covered, hedged in and about. He's taking care of me. He'll never forsake me. That's Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. God told Jeremiah, don't be afraid of their faces, for I am with thee and I will deliver thee. I am with thee to deliver thee. Isaiah 41, verse 10 says, he says, he says, fear thou not, for I am with thee. Renewing your mind the fact that the God of heaven and earth that holds all things in the palm of His hand, who has all power in heaven and earth, He's on your side. He's promised to take care of you. You know, you know there's a scripture that says, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. How many times do we like to take up vengeance ourselves, right? <laughs> the Lord says, you know, leave vengeance alone. It's mine. I'm going to take care. That's for me. I'm going to take care of that. Well, I'm going to tell you what. You should count the consequences of obedience the same way. That's the Lord. I'm going to give them to the Lord to deal with. 
you, you know, we're only responsible for what we do. I can't control you. I can't control my employer if they want to fire me. I can't even control my spouse, right? You, I mean, we're all your children. You can try to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, but I'm going to tell you what, they are responsible for doing that which is right. You can't do right for them. The only one you can do right for is yourself. In other words, I don't need to be afraid of what other people are going to do. You know what? We worry about stuff, right? We worry about stuff that we have no control over. Well, you know what? When it comes to being obedient to God, when we have these circumstances of being afraid of what someone else is going to do, don't worry about what they're going to do. You know what kind of relief it is? Cast all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. It's a weight lifted when you don't have to worry about what the other person is going to do, how they're going to respond if I'm just doing that which I know is right in the sight of the Lord. And I'm just going to trust the Lord that He will carry me. If there's consequences, He'll bless me. Uh, there may be consequences to my preaching, like Paul and Silas thrown in jail. Peter was thrown in jail. Well, you know, that's okay. I'm, I am willing... I'm willing. Are we willing to bear the consequences that might come for our obedience to God? That is a question. That's the first question. If we're not willing in heart and mind, we're never going to survive it. We first have to have the willing heart. But when we have time when we're afraid, we find in uh, Psalms Psalms, uh, 56, David says, What time I am afraid... I will trust in thee. You're going to be afraid. We're going to be afraid of this or that. What's going to happen if I do this, that, or the other? He says, what time I'm afraid, I'm going to put my trust in him. Because he's going to take care of me. What I'm doing is I'm trusting God to take care of me in whatever happens because of my obedience unto God. That I'm just going to be true to the Lord. Trust, you know, because we want to take up those consequences so bad. Just like vengeance. We want to take it up. Leave it with the Lord. Leave. Don't worry about the consequences. Leave it with the Lord because He can take care of it. I'm trusting in the Lord that He'll take care of any ramifications that come from me being faithful to Him. That's how you escape. It's trusting in the Lord. The fear of man brings a snare. When we focus on the fear of what's going to happen, no. Transform your mind in the fact that God is on the throne, that He's my God, He's promised to be with me in six troubles, yea, in seven, and take care of me. When thou passest through the waters, He says, I'll be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God. Isaiah 43, 2. You mark that down. Wow. He says, I'm going to be with you. Don't be afraid because I'm with you. Don't be afraid of this consequence because I'm with you. I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to uphold you. Fear thou not, for I'm with thee. Isaiah 41 verse 10. Fear thou not, for I'm with thee. Why? Because this is God of the universe. It holds all things. He's with you. God's on my side. Renew your mind. Don't be conformed to this world, but be renewed in your mind of these truths of who God is. He's promised to be with us, to, to protect us, to take care of us. We don't have to be focused. Don't focus on the consequences of what might happen or you're going to be snared and taken. That belongs to the Lord. Lay it it to the Lord. Don't worry about it. The Lord's big enough to take care of us. All right, let's, let's close with an example. 
Let's go to Daniel chapter 3. And hopefully we can see these principles I've been trying to speak, exhibited in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3, we find, of course, Nebuchadnezzar's king. You know, this is the one that thought he was so big, and look at this great kingdom that I've made and all this, you know, and he finally realized the most high ruleth in the kingdom of men. He's actually the one that said, the Lord says uh, over there in Daniel chapter 4, verse uh, 35, says, All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the armies of heaven among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can say his hand or say anything, what doest thou? Well, here in this time, we find Nebuchadnezzar is, he made a great peep, uh, feast and he's got this big image. He proclaims that, you know, everybody, when they hear the sound of all this music, they have to fall down and worship this image. Well, by this time, this was in Babylon. Well, you had some of the captives in Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. They wouldn't bow down. You know this story. They wouldn't bow down and worship the golden image. Right? Because God says, Thou shalt have none other gods before me. Thou shalt not make an image to worship. You know the second commandment too? The moral law of God, right? Well, what happened? Well, when all this music started playing, the command of the king was everybody fall down and worship this image. And it doesn't say, but I expect that image probably of himself. I don't know if that's right or not. But they had everybody there that was anybody. I mean, they they brought the... Uh, uh, <clears throat> All, all the, all the, all the, uh, important men of the kingdom were there. And the proclaim, what is proclaimed was, if you don't fall down and worship this image, you're going to be cast into this burning fiery furnace and be burned up. There's some motivation for falling down, right? So there's a consequence for not falling down. That consequence is you're going to lose your life because you're going to be cast into the fire and burned. All right? And we're so concerned about what people's going to think or maybe say about us. Here's three that were up against their life. What do they do? If we don't bow down, we're in danger of losing our life. Well, first of all, they had a commitment to the Lord to serve Him, and they knew that was wrong, so they didn't do it. They stayed faithful to God. They didn't worry about they They put off the consequences. That they were faithful. Well, it was reported to this king. And verse 12 says, There are certain Jews whom thou set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou set up. Now it got reported back. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Is this, is this a true report? And in the next verse, he actually gives them, a, he gives them a, a second chance. He says, Now, if ye be ready, I mean, probably all eyes are on them. I mean, who do you think all... I mean, the, Nebuchadnezzar... I mean, I'm sure all eyes are upon him and these three are brought before him and he says, 
Is it true you're not going to bow down and worship this image? What kind of pressure were they feeling? Then he says, if, if you, now if you be ready, at what time you hear all this manner of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made, then well, everything be okay. I'm giving you one last chance. What would, what would we do? One last chance before everybody's here. If you don't fall down. He says, if you'll fall down, then it'll be well. But if you worship not, you shall be cast the same hour into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said unto the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. Do you know what that phrase means? We're not careful to answer thee. Um, there's a New Testament that says, Be careful for nothing. That's talking about being anxious and worried. Cast all your care upon me, for I care for you. He says, We're not, he says, We're not careful to answer thee in this matter. They didn't huddle up and say, You know, maybe, maybe we should do this. We really went too far this time. We're not careful to answer this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. A couple of points. I know I'm going a little bit over. This is important. You know, if you can stand, I I think I mentioned to you when I was in college and my roommate and his two friends, you know, I told them I don't drink. And they said, "Uh, you don't yet. You know, if I'd have just kind of been a little squish, well, you know, I just don't feel like going out tonight. I don't, you know, kind of been not firm. I don't mean cocky. Sometimes if you'll be firm, I just said, no, I don't drink. They came one more time and said, well, hey, let's go out. And I said, did you forget I told you I don't drink? They're like, oh, like, I guess he means it. And they never bother me again. But if people can see that you're weak, and they think they can take you and get you to go in a way. <clears throat> Just don't show weakness. Don't be cocky. Just be firm. You know, <clears throat> tell your employer, well, I can't in good conscience do anything that's dishonest or unethical. I'm sorry, I just can't do that. Or whatever it may be. But you have to be firm in what you say. These people were firm. All right. That's one. That's one point. They had a commitment to serve God, but they also said, "We're not careful." In other words, they weren't anxious about this thing because they'd already decided they're going to do that, which is right in the sight of the Lord, and they weren't fearing the consequences. Look what they were trusting in. We're not careful. We're not anxious about this matter, but our God, whom we serve, He's able to deliver us. You see where their trust is. They are trusting in God to deliver them in whatever consequences might come upon them for their obedience unto God. Do you see that? We're not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and He will deliver us out of thy hand, O King. But if not, be it known unto thee, O King, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. God delivers us fine. If He doesn't deliver us, that's fine too. But we're, you know, that is God's business of how He's providentially, He's with us. He's promised to never leave us, nor forsake us. He's with us. Our God whom we serve, He's able to deliver us. I don't know what God's going to do, but I'm, my will is reconciled to God's will in this matter. And whatever <clears throat> consequence, I'm not worried about it because I'm leaving that with God. The fear of man brings a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. They're putting their trust in the Lord to handle 
the consequences that might come upon them for their obedience. You don't have to worry. You know what? When you, when you trust in the Lord and realize that He's promised to always be with you and take care of you, you don't have to worry about a lot of stuff. If you like worrying about stuff, sometimes people want to worry about stuff. Man, I don't like to worry about a whole stuff, about a lot of stuff. Give it to the Lord. Let Him worry about it. If I can say that. Let Him deal with it. I'm going to trust in the Lord to deal with those things. And then what did the king say? Well, they got thrown into the fiery furnace, right? And the king came out of his seat and said, Did not we cast three, but I see four. The fourth like is the son of man. They came in. I mean, this thing was so hot. The, peop- the men that cast those three in there, they got so close to the flame, they, they were consumed. <clears throat> Isaiah 43. God has said, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. When thou passest through the fires, I will be with thee. When thou walk through the waters, let me just cl- say that in closing. Isaiah chapter 43. He says, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall a flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God. The Lord loves His people. He's promised to always take care of us, to be with us, provide for our needs. We can trust Him. The Lord's on my side. He's always on our side. You know, the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 4 was on, had an occasion. He said, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord rewarded him according to his works. He was over there at one time where he was all alone. He says, at my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. He said, that, yet the Lord stood with me and the Lord strengthened me. The Lord backed him up because the Lord's on our side. I don't care. You may feel like you're the only one out there uh, trying to do this, which is right. You may be the only one that can stand in that day, in that trial. But I'm going to tell you, my friends, that God has promised to be with us. He strengthens us and we need to trust Him to take care of any consequences that might come upon us to being obedient unto Him. That's the only way we're going to escape the snare of the fear of man or peer pressure. May God bless you is my prayer. I appreciate your good attention. I know I went long.